Welcome to Rebel Steps. I'm your host, Liz. When people first set out to make a difference, they often gravitate towards charity. And it makes sense to start there. You see someone hungry, you want to feed them. For many people, charity or volunteering is a gateway to broader political understanding. I know it was for me. I grew up in a very religious household. During my teenage years, I did some missions work. There was a huge emphasis on saving people abroad, both spiritually and materially. But during college, I began piecing together a different understanding. I was involved in United Students Against Sweatshops, or USAS, an organization that supports garment workers abroad. USAS talked directly to workers in factories that made college apparel and coordinated students' actions with workers' demands. The needs and views of the workers were front and center in the actions of USAS. As I learned more, I moved away from charity and towards solidarity and empowerment. And though I ultimately rejected religion, I've always seen my early experiences with charity as foundational to the political beliefs I formed in adulthood. Don Elder Carmara, a Brazilian archbishop who advocated for liberation theology, summed up this connection by saying, When I give food to the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why they are poor, they call me a communist. Well, I tend towards anarchism, but still, I feel like I know what he means. In left-leaning and especially anarchist circles, support projects are called mutual aid. My name is Chris, and I've been a bottom liner at Food Not Bombs Lower Manhattan over the past eight years, and I'm also a member of MAC. Chris has been involved in mutual aid projects for years. As a bottom liner for Food Not Bombs, he helps coordinate weekly free hot meals. He's passionate about mutual aid's importance in history. I asked Chris about the difference between charity and mutual aid. To understand the difference between what is charity and what is mutual aid, look at where power is centered and where it goes. On a very basic level, charity retains power. And in fact, it uses that same power to help. But that power is still there, and the power relations themselves have not changed. Mutual aid is a matter of giving power to other people. These two things can look very similar, but it makes all the difference in the world. So unlike charity, mutual aid seeks to empower communities to meet their own material needs, such as housing, food, and health care. This idea taps into the inherent contradiction of the rich trying to save the poor. The wealthy make their fortunes by exploiting the poor. If someone's working 40 hours a week but still needs food stamps and doesn't have health insurance, that employer is not doing right by their employees. Yet they can turn around and give that money away to someone else and receive praise and accolades. For example, in 2014, a study showed that low-wage Walmart employees were using $6.2 billion in public assistance. At the same time, Walmart runs an extensive giving and grant program. Keeping your workers in poverty on one hand while giving to different people on the other hand just doesn't add up. Traditional charities and corporate giving programs are riddled with these sorts of contradictions. Mutual aid seeks a more equitable future without the exploitation found in the charity world. It seeks a more holistic solution. Here's Chris again. A charity organization 
would address a very specific problem. There are certain people who don't have any food, and so here's an organization that provides food. There's certain people who can't get into college, and so here's an organization that provides scholarships. But these are not done with the intention of stitching together a total society. These are meant to shore up the weaknesses in current society. It is sticking your finger in the holes in the dam in order to keep the water from leaking out. What we know to be society are the institutions with which we interact in order to secure the means for our material existence. Virtually all of the institutions that we interact with uh, for this today are going to be governmental institutions or capitalistic institutions or religious institutions or some sort of hierarchical institution. Is it any wonder why so many people, despite the fact that government, capitalism, all these hierarchies do not work for them, why they will defend them, even sometimes unto death? And it's because this forms the sum whole of their experience of what is actually possible. If we want to create a new society, then we must create new institutions that follow non-authoritarian, non-hierarchical ethics. Because through interacting with these institutions, people's imaginations for what is possible will suddenly expand. One of the most frustrating things to me about our modern society is that we let people go hungry or be homeless when we have food being thrown out and homes that stay empty for years. Some groups focus very directly on connecting these dots. In Greece, there's a series of hotels and houses that anarchists have turned into homes for refugees. One example, the City Plaza Hotel, was unused and empty for six years before it became a squat. The squats aimed to solve the problems of overcrowding and isolation that plagued the government and NGO camps. You have all these refugee camps over in Europe, southern Europe, you know, people coming in from Syria, North Africa, uh, and the like. And they are basically in these camps stuffed to the gills with people, and they are essentially held there by people, and there is very clearly a power dynamic there. You have the people who serve, and you have the people who are served, and that can be an incredibly demoralizing position to be in. Where the anarchist squats that people talk about in Athens defer is the have these very same refugees centered as the ones actually running these places and so are able to do so understanding the needs and experiences of their fellow refugees. It is done with a sense of empowerment and of having a confidence in their own abilities and being able to contribute, being able to not just be a mouth and a stomach, which is how a lot of these NGOs and a lot of these governments very bluntly view these people. They are also a brain. They are also a pair of hands. They are also a voice. And it's been the anarchists, not the NGOs, that have been able to recognize that in them and to be able to help them come into their own power. In 
In addition to offering housing, these squats have created an engaged and supportive community. The community hosts everything from language classes to queer dance parties to a health clinic. Unfortunately, they've been persecuted by the local right-wing press, and the government has tried to evict them multiple times. The orders to evict the squats were issued last summer, but the squats continue to fight. The Coordination of Refugee Squats wrote, As long as they try to evict the squats, as long as they build camps and detention centers, as long as there are borders, we will also be there to fight back and to fight for a better world. You don't have to go to Greece to participate in this kind of work. Food Not Bombs is a web of groups that cook and distribute vegan food in most major cities. Food Not Bombs is premised on the idea that if the nations of the world spent nearly as much on their hungriest and neediest people instead of on weapons of war, we would probably be in a much better place, but they don't. And so one part community service, one part political activism, Food Not Bombs' very presence indicates the failures of our current system and points out that the promise of industrial capitalism is essentially a lie that is being sold to the people because if it weren't a lie, then we wouldn't actually have to be there on Sundays. They emphasize both the outcome and the way they do the work, writing, We are also showing by example that we can work cooperatively without leaders through volunteer effort to provide essential needs like food, housing, education, and health care. In addition to providing support to a larger community, there are lots of examples of mutual aid within our own political communities. Daniel from Books Through Bars, who spoke on the Write a Letter episode, thinks about prisoner support with this lens in mind. I don't see it as a charity. I view it as mutual aid or even just a gesture of solidarity, albeit a small one. It's probably not too small to people that are getting a big fat package from us when they have you know, no ability to read other than that. sometimes overlooked in organizing, but we can't underestimate its value. Meeting people's material needs has been used repeatedly as a way to challenge established power. Everybody wants to do these very glamorous sort of things. Everybody wants to be able to get in the newspaper. People want to punch a cop or something along those lines. But what movements are ultimately made of is the boring work, the unglamorous work, the unsexy work. If a movement expects to be able to have an impact, then it's going to need to figure out an effective way to do this boring stuff. And the efficacy of these projects and the efficacy of these organizations would then wind up sapping legitimacy from the ones that we're opposing right now. Look to the Black Panthers. Their school meal program was seen as far more threatening than any of their direct actions were. The Free Breakfast for Children program was one of the many Black Panther survival programs. For a period of time, the program fed over 10,000 children daily. 
it was the Black Panthers school meal programs that eventually shamed the federal government into creating ones of their own because they knew that that actually directly challenged their own legitimacy. And so they needed to implement this program themselves because without it, they looked like fools. The episodes so far have focused on specific action items. This episode is more about a paradigm shift. Charity has existed for eons and the poor are still poor. The world has the money, the food, and resources to care for everyone and eradicate poverty, but we have not done so. Showing up to volunteer is a great first step. Don't be afraid to take on an organizing role in this context. Offer to set up and clean up for your group, take on the side salad at Food Not Bombs, coordinate new volunteers at the next event. Our work has to be about a balance between challenging the power structures and providing immediate aid. Look for projects that empower those in need, give to organizations working towards systemic change. If you're already volunteering, consider how your group fits into this paradigm. For more resources, check out the show notes at rebelsteps.com. You've been listening to Rebel Steps. I'm your host, Liz. Believe in yourself, trust one another, and get organized. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Amy and myself. Music for this episode was kindly gifted to us by Morgan Foose and also includes a few songs that I created. Special thanks to our interviewees, Chris and Daniel, and their organizations. 